Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. I'm I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. This is Mick. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. So uh, this is a... Uh, uh, a kind of a, a sad, but exciting day. Yeah. Are, you, are you getting emotional, Vicar? At times, yep. At times. This is uh, the last Clerical Errors podcast uh, for a while, probably. For you. For, sorry, yes, for me. Yes, for yes. me as well be the last one is what I'm right, saying. Right, yeah, yeah. You're gone and the sh- it's, it's, sure it's the over. The show's yeah. going to collapse. It's not like we've done it before for like four years without right. without you, but you we'll go. find a way. <laughs> <Go on>. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and how you doing, Berg? Oh, you know me, just another day in paradise. Did you go to the, you didn't go to the Bugenhagen, did you? I did not. I I don't have that much time to go and do things anymore. And when everything is a minimum of 12 hours from where you are, right? Uh, it kind of make th- it kind of makes things a little difficult uh, to go, but it looked like they had a lot of fun. It looked like the Gen Xers won the baseball game. So kudos to them. I feel bad for the millennials, but. <laughs> well. You know how it is. Uh, we're used to be being more outside. It's true. That's why you like that book, The Outsiders in uh, Junior High, right? <laughs> you bet. You bet. So uh, uh, what do you have? Do you have anything to drink, gentlemen? Oh, yeah. I do. I have a Kirkland uh, blended scotch just for Vicar, you know. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah. Keep promoting the podcast. While you're in the fields of Indiana, and uh, you know, you'll have to join us back sometime. Yeah, maybe after I get a name <laughs> <laughs> someday. So that's Costco brand, huh? It is. I bought this a long time ago, um, because once again, the nearest Costco is like five hours away. So <laughs> I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> it is quite amazing. Uh, the distances here are are kind of fun. So. Hmm. Yeah, you probably wind up spending a little less money because you, when you go out, you don't you don't like go out shopping to get, because you're bored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm glad we have like grocery, good grocery stores and that sort of stuff here. But yeah, um, yeah, there's really, I mean, you go to Casper if you want to do any bigger shopping, and that's two and a half hours away. So, mm-hmm. but you can drive, and that, that that's a lot of miles because you probably drive pretty fast when you when you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean the speed limit here is seventy, so which is hmm. pretty rad. <laughs> All right, so uh, uh, I got a Coke. What do you have, Vicar? It's Crystal Light blended with tonic water. It's my oh. my typical thing. Okay, <laughs> a little quinine, huh? Mm-hmm. Sweet, <laughs> bitter, I suppose, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> so, uh, Vicar, uh, what are you preaching on? All right, false prophets. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 7. Come on, say it like you mean it. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the seventh chapter. Say it with your chest. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so sad that this is my last one. Oh, what will I do? (laughs) All right. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
All right. All right. How's that sermon coming, Vicar? Well, it's coming along. I've I like the idea of talking about false prophets, and so I have what I'm going to call a gimmick. It's probably not quite the right word. A surprise uh, in the sermon where I'm going to describe uh, a certain false prophet, an early charismatic movement, uh, which came into the church and featured people that thought they were receiving direct revelation from God outside of the word. And that's, that's often a feature of false prophets is they're, they're experiencing this kind of mystical uh, communication from God and they think they're receiving new revelation. And, and these people would have ecstatic utterances and trance-like behavior. And then a couple of women joined the main guy uh, and they, they managed to empty the pews of a lot of churches uh, as their movement caught on. It was especially popular in the rural areas Eventually, he started preaching that there needed to be more fasting in general than people were doing, and they needed to live stricter lives, and that seemed to appeal to people. And ultimately, he started predicting that the New Jerusalem was just about to come down. The second coming was any day, and then he did something funny. He named the place where the New Jerusalem would descend from heaven and land on the earth. And uh, finally, in its heyday, this movement, while it peaked around... 156 AD, and it persisted for a few hundred years until finally one of the emperors basically outlawed it, and it faded away for good. So that was Montanus and his priestesses, Priscilla and Maximilla. And it's so fascinating to me that that the movement bears so many resemblances to the Pentecostal movement that I came out of, and most people would say, oh yeah, Pentecostalism, that got its start in 1906 on Azusa Street, you know, over near Los Angeles or in Los Angeles. And and so it's interesting to me as a former Pentecostal to read just how early that type of thing caught on in the Christian church and how the Orthodox believers, the Bible believers, had to had to excommunicate it and deal with it as their as their members were seduced by it. Because one of the other things we learned from this reading is that the the false prophets, they're not just zany, they're enticing. There is something about what they're saying that appeals to people. And so Jesus warns that they will be in sheep's clothing, that will be an appealing message. That, that's the thing about uh, preaching against false doctrine, is the fact that you're preaching against something that is appealing, and people don't recognize that. Like, every false teaching that, that sweeps people's minds mm-hmm. one is one that appeals to their sensibilities, it appeals to their sense of right and wrong. It is very convincing to them. And uh, like the text points out, is how surprised people are when they find out, oh, this was wrong? It made perfect sense to me. Right. So we see even the false prophets sometimes believe their message. They're not, they they think they've got it right, obviously. So So, so let's be mindful uh, uh, for for us to remember that that there are a lot of false Christs, a lot of false prophets that might might be very, very enticing to you. Yes. And, uh, but they're false. And they might be some sincere. They might appeal to you, but uh, you 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 uh, compare it to the fruits. You compare it to the word of God. That's it. And uh, and that's how you know. That's right. You got that's... anything here, Forsberg? Oh yeah, tons. You've been on fire lately, by the way. <laughs> well, and I think too. I mean, what this made me think of is what I actually read this morning from Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a conflict with a prophet by the name of Hananiah. And this is something that both Isaiah and Jeremiah are dealing with. They were dealing with false prophets, not who are saying anything wrong, but they, per se, um, but they really emphasize, and we would even say that they're preachers of grace. They're like, look, the temple, the temple, the temple. God will rescue his people. God will rescue his people. God will rescue his people. How dare you, Jeremiah? How dare you say God will bring bring judgment and make this place like Shiloh? How dare you uh, not be patriotic? How dare you uh, talk to the surrounding nations of of you know the in the nations mm-hmm. surrounding Israel, saying submit to Nebuchadnezzar, otherwise God will destroy you with um, with the sword and with plague and with famine. And yet they were false prophets. God says that they lie because the people did not repent. You can be a false prophet if you make the gospel into a pillow for the wicked and for the unrepentant too. Right. Which think, is you which know, is uh what's happening nowadays quite a bit. Right. I mean, you know, you don't have to simply be 
uh, say stuff that's wrong about God or the sacraments to be a false prophet, um, you could be a false prophet by not preaching the law, by not mm-hmm. preaching repentance, by just saying, well, you're baptized, you know, it's okay. Right. Well, is it? If you throw an extra 20 in the offering plate for everything you did last night, and here's another 20 for what I'm going to do today, th- that mm. ain't repentance, guys. Mm. That ain't repentance. Nope. And I think the comforting thing of this passage is is that we can actually identify false prophets. Right. 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 Je- Jesus, is, Jesus isn't telling us here um, to, well, beware false prophets. Well, how do you beware them? Well, observe. Good, you know, good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. You shall know them by their fruits. And what are these fruits? It's preaching, teaching, and life. And I think the other comforting thing here is not only can we identify false prophets, but in the next section, we see that these false prophets, despite their being them being ravenous wolves, they nevertheless uh, do mighty works in God's name. Yeah. Like they actually right. cast out demons. They do miracles. I mean, it's amazing, right? That despite their unbelief, despite their lawlessness, uh, God still does these miracles through them for the people of God, which shows us once again what our confessions teach, that what our confessions teach is what the Bible teaches. Like, yeah, you can have a crappy pastor. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can, oh, yeah. have an, you can have an unbelieving pastor who robs the church, who runs off with the secretary, who uh, uh, finally decides that he's a woman, you know, in transgenderism. Nevertheless, his baptisms still count. His right. sermons still convert people. The Lord's Supper is still efficacious because it's not based on the man, but it's based upon the Word of God. Which is why we, we do a, a lot of a separation of— and make a distinction between the man and the office. Hmm. That's why right. we don't like uh, clear pulpits, <laughs> that are, exactly. you know, where it's it's make it makes it all about the man or his personality or what he thinks, and that's why we base our sermons not not on our own personal experience, but on God's word. Now, there might be times we use experience as an example of something or to illustrate something, but it's it's not about the man. It's about the office. It's about the word of God by which he speaks and does his work, independent of the sinful man, uh, because even if he isn't an unbelieving scoundrel, he is still a sinner. (laughs) Right. And he might actually commit sins that cause offense and cause stumbling. You know? Yeah. Um, Can he still be forgiven for that? Absolutely. But it's, you know, there's still damage, right? And people Mm -hmm. who have been damaged by this also need to remember that just because your pastor was a schmuck doesn't mean God is. Right. And God right. still does miracles through unbelievers. Like, for example, look in the book of Acts. Look at uh, Acts 19 with the sons of Sceva. These were just a bunch of exorcists running around using the name of Jesus like a magic formula, and it worked until they met a demon better than themselves who beat them up <laughs> right. and sent them running away naked. So, That's right. <laughs> um, you know, which once again proves that even if man is a liar, even if every man is a liar, God is true. So, I don't know, there's something very comforting in that about this text, so. All right, well, Vicar, I am looking forward to uh, to your sermon. Well, good. And yep. uh, it, I've noticed, uh, um, are, are you getting a little more emotional than you would have expected? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to stay on top of everything and stay here in my mind, but the, but my the way I think is to to already be gone. And but yes, more emotional, especially when dealing with the the daycare children for sure. And I'll be talking about that with my twelve top twelve list. But but yes, more emotional as a item after item, activity after activity is the last time I will be doing this particular thing as a vicar, and it yeah weighs on me. Yeah. Do you remember your uh, last days of vicarage? Were you so emotional, Berg? <laughs> no, I was trying to pass my my intensive Latin courses <laughs> of course. at at, uh, at Notre Dame. And that was actually, my last day of vicarage was uh, the first time that I ever had Chick-fil-A. Oh. 
Wow. So, so Vicar, remember that. Whenever one door closes, there's a chicken sandwich. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll keep except my eyes open. not on Sunday. Right. Yeah. Closed yeah. on Sunday. <laughs> You're my Chick Fil A. You're my number one Ugh. with the lemonade. Those are some sophisticated lyrics, I gotta say. Truer <laughs> words have never been spoken. <laughs> no cap. <laughs> so uh, uh, let's let's keep keep it moving. Uh, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We have a, a submitted question. Uh, I don't know if we'll get to that from Hannah and and uh, Berg has a little something that he'd like to talk about. If it, so. Um, but uh, being Vicar's last time uh, to record in studio, yeah, I thought it would be uh, a nice gesture, uh, a nice thing for him to do, and I kind of told him to do it, so he didn't really have a choice. <laughs> I, yeah, for a couple more days, I have no <laughs> no choices. Uh, uh, to do a, a top 12 list for us today, because this being a show of what's behind the collar... Uh, um, I think part of the, the appeal of the show is people seeing what's behind the collar in uh, those who are preparing to wear uh, the collar as a pastor. Yeah. And uh, I, I do think, I mentioned earlier to you, that I think this is a good podcast for people who are considering, to men, considering going to the ministry. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you know, Vickers, we do have a collar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's... It's dress up, really. Yeah, it's just a, a costume. <laughs> it, it's kind of like when you get the first year seminarian who gets a collar and then he he wears it like every day. Oh yeah, we saw. I saw that when I first started uh, summer Greek. A few of the guys, the young guys, showed up in clerical collars, which was the first I even realized that we were now officially allowed to wear clerical collars. Was when and it lasted for maybe a week and then it was over. Everybody's back to regular clothes. All right. So, Vicar, how, what is what did you finally? choose as a top 12 list the top 12 vicar moments top 12 vicar moments what do you what do you think peter should do peter play the intro enough nonsense it's time for bullhagen's top 12 so do you remember vicar when uh, uh we put you on the spot because you didn't know exactly what to say oh yeah no it's <laughs> Those, those moments didn't make my list, but yeah, they're they're burned into my memory nonetheless. Peter, play the introduction, please. Yes, I... <laughs> that's that's a pretty good way to put it. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> well, it seemed like part of the podcast was to make sure that the vicar had to say stuff that he didn't didn't know what to do, and then it could be recorded and he could be made fun of. That's part of the deal. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> So I, I look forward to listening to the next vicar. Well, what uh, what is clerical errors without the errors, right, Burr? <laughs> yeah. Amen. Number twelve. Okay, I first moved into the house, and I found a two by four wooden pulpit in the basement. Day one when I got here, and I learned a valuable lesson right away because I said, "Oh, look at this! There's a practice pulpit in the basement. I can practice at home in the basement." And you shut me down right away because you essentially said you will preach what you practice. If I practice my voice levels appropriate for a one uh, a one room in a basement, then I will not project my voice appropriately. And so you instructed me to practice from the pulpit in the sanctuary and that I was not to be excited about the two by four pulpit I found in the Vicar house. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to I will preach what I practice. Berg, if your screen froze again, it's just this nice, gentle smile. A smirk, maybe. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know me. It's do, like do the, we know? It's it, it's like the Mona Lisa, only hairier. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> do we know who put that? Yeah, that, I was, was going to say the same thing. How long has that been in there? Do you think Bullhagen? Do you know? Yeah, I just wondered. Uh, long time. Okay, I think that was uh, I think, Ficker number four did that four or five. Somebody tall because the thing was like you know up underneath my chin almost. So I would have had to stand on a box if I did use I, it. I think Bernsey did that. Okay. Number 11. Miniature wargaming with the confirmation students. That was a that was a neat moment because we had finished studying the entire Old Testament and I wanted to come up with a fun way that our last confirmation class would just be something other than me standing up in the front lecturing them and showing them a timeline of the Old Testament which I am prone to do. And so I devised a homemade miniature war game and I made the House of Saul 
in the house of David when I gave him special powers and special weapons and different moves. And I, I believe you, you went through that on the podcast. I did, but, you know, that was a good yeah. moment. And so, yeah, I remember all the rules, too. Don't you, Berg? <laughs> um, not quite, but... Uh, all right. I think uh, but, uh, Michael was... Uh, there was a sneaky part in there, though, right? You're right, right, because yeah. she was there, master she had, of disguise. Yeah, I couldn't remember what the ability was, but... Yeah, I can't remember either, to be honest. Oh, and uh, um, Ashiel ran really fast. Right, the fast guy. That's right. So we were Uh, listening, Vicar. We were listening. We were good, yeah. Yeah. better. You remember it better than I do, I think. But then I also, that led to me writing newsletter articles for the last, I don't know, six months or so, uh, featuring the drama that's when you read 1 Samuel and the... The trauma and or the drama that David went through as as he had to evade King Saul over and over again and uh, out in the field. So I've been I wrapped that up today with uh, my newsletter. Next time we'll feature the Witch of Endor and the death of Saul. Sweet. Are there uh, uh, are, are there Ewoks in that one? Th- this time not. But I think that's so funny no. that the, <laughs> like did they did he know did Lucas know that he was spelling it the same way as <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All right. I'm not much of a Star Wars guy, so. I was at Star Wars in 1977 at a drive-in theater when I was six years old. And so a, oh. key, a key moment in my life, but not a key moment in my vicarage. Do you know what? Hey, look at look at Berg for a second. Don't you think if he grew a beard, he kind of lo- would look like George Lucas a little bit? Maybe. Yes. That would I be kind of cool. I have been told that before by some stranger on the street one time. Except you have to get the kind of beard where they grow it out and then they, they trim it so it looks like they have a, a skinny face on their fat face. Well, why do you think I did it that way? <laughs> oh, you, you had that. I, My bad. I did have that. Okay. Back when we were all growing our COVID <laughs> facial hair. <laughs> and before I went to the... Well, anyway, right. Yes. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, you've seen that. We're like, My face is really round. I'm going to just trim to, it like, like right there. It. Like, right. you know, giving me a strong chin there. But I have been thinking, thinking, you know, see how gray this is now? I'm thinking oh, yeah. about... Uh, what would happen if I just showed up on Sunday and I just made this nice, nice, even brown? You just colored it one time, just showed up, didn't say anything? Right. I think you should just do, like, jet black. Oh. And be like, what? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Act like you didn't show do up it. and have it dyed my color. That <laughs> would be hilarious. There that you would go. Be awesome. Number 10. Meeting my YouTube influencer. Key moment. Oh, you met your YouTube influencer. I did. It's a, I, I, can you guess? Can you guess? Like, who would be his YouTube influencer? Because you know this person, that you know this person quite well, actually. No idea. Um, okay. You want me to spill spill the beans, or you? Oh, uh, well, let me let me see if he guesses as I tell how I had this YouTube influencer. Okay. All right. So, as I was on my way to becoming Lutheran, I was tasked with teaching a confirmation class at my local congregation, something that was remarkable because I had never been in a confirmation class. Yeah, I find that fascinating where, oh, you you don't know anything about Lutheranism, so why don't you teach our kids? <laughs> but I did know something about theology. Okay. And so so the idea was that I would scramble, and what I did was scrambled and stayed ahead of my student by studying, you know, and then presenting what I had studied, you know, a day or two later. So I stayed ahead of her. I studied the small catechism and I presented it to her. And, you know, a key moment for me actually for being here at all because the pastor told me if I didn't do it, nobody would. And that became kind of like my my slogan, I suppose, on my way to realizing I was going into the office of holy ministry. And so, but meanwhile, I needed to teach her things like, well, how does the divine service work? And I didn't know because we didn't use it straight out of the book. I was curious what a divine service would look at, at the church there, but what would it look like if you did it straight out of the book? So I went on YouTube and I found this channel called Lutheran TV. And I thought, well, that, that sounds promising. And I found this little congregation in Hubbard, Iowa, who record their... Oh, their, boy. <laughs> yeah, who record their Sunday services and put them online. So I would watch it to figure out how the Divine Service Setting 1 worked, and there was this interesting pastor, Matt Rieger, and I would... And I so I was watching him years ago so I could learn how the Divine Services worked and became, like, kind of intrigued with him. He seemed to be doing a good job, and I liked his sermons, and then... Lo and behold, I go off to Vicarage and I find myself in the same circuit with Pastor Matt Rieger. And so the first time we go to a Winkle. A Winkle there, it was like a a pilgrimage for Vicar. It was. I just couldn't (laughs) believe that it was happening because 
And then he was cooler in real life than I had any any idea. Like he he owns like a cool mid nineteen sixties Mustang, and he wears a leather jacket, and he's so cool. Right. He's uh <laughs> he's building he he's building his own house out of wood from the land he right. owns. Yeah, just these trees that fell over in the, the El Derecho. Am I saying that right? The Derecho. The Derecho. The, the El Derecho. That's a. Uh, it has meat and a tortilla cheese <laughs> and some uh, sriracha sauce. And then you, you cook it and then you put some lettuce on yeah. it. No, but it's a, a derecho. Derecho. I'll have a derecho on the rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. And so he's a cool guy. And I was a little like starstruck, which is silly, I know. But it was neat to meet him. And I found out he's on the board of regents for the Yeah. If you're ever wondering what, what uh, Reverend Dr. Rieger looks like. Yeah. He looks like Jeff Foxworthy slowly morphing into uh, Sam Elliott. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> yes. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> or he could go to Lutheran TV, St. John's on YouTube. And yeah. He could watch one of his sermons, which is what I had been doing for a couple of years. And by the way, I, I, I've talked to him about the podcast and he just thinks it's weird. Well. He doesn't understand. Probably accurate. We should have him on. Yeah. 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 He's a... He's forthright in the things he says, which is kind of neat. <laughs> he is. We, we got to fill in the non-Vicar episode somehow, right? Yeah. <laughs> number nine. The Clerical Errors Podcast. Oh, I, that is number a, nine. Yep, yeah, that's made it number nine. It's a cool moment to find that I was going to be on the podcast. Uh, I heard about it from, I guess, do we use the name nowadays? The one? Yeah. Uh, well, it was Adam Bauman who told me that I would be asked to be a part of this. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I've never heard of it. And uh, it turned out that it's really fun and I like doing it. I've had a good time on the podcast and it was a, also a valuable opportunity for me to practice speaking when I wasn't wholly prepared, when I hadn't been able to think entirely. I mean, this is a little defied today because I am using a list I prepared for the top 12, but most <laughs> of the time I'm just having to respond off the cuff with you know what comes to mind and it was good practice for me. Hey, hey Berg, don't you think uh, it's kind of a, an interesting growing for a vicar to actually kind of be in a, in a place where he just has to kind of talk about theology and to think about things and be able to word things. I don't really have, I didn't have an opportunity quite like that when I was a vicar. I think it would have been been good for me. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a great thing because what it does is it forces you to think on your feet. It, thinks, it, it forces you to um, engage an issue right away. And it also forces you to study ahead of time because you never know what's going to happen, right? And this is true if you, when you meet somebody on the mm -hmm. street or or anything like that. So you know, it's uh, I think it's I think it's a great thing. Um, so it, you know, it, it's also a lesson in not taking yourself so seriously, right? <laughs> and yeah, I mean, because you can make a mistake and <laughs> right. And you know, I I think I that's true meekness and true dissidence, you know, diffidence, really, because what matters? Not us. God's word. So, yeah. right. Right. Well put. Well, we have, we've been happy to have you, 19.0. Oh, well. <laughs> Ooh, someday I'll have a name. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. Going to the wellness center. All right. Going the to freak the factory. Freak factory. Yeah. Like, that was nothing I could have really anticipated. I just, I got here, found out my supervisor likes to go lift weights. And that's something I hadn't really done since college, which I'm the same age as my supervisor. So as you can imagine, that was a long time ago. <laughs> well, technically I'm older. <laughs> so we go over to the wellness center and it turns out that, um, that my supervisor who's sitting here with me was willing to be my personal trainer. And he sets me up with like a, a set of exercises. He's very good at reading me when I'm struggling with the machine because of the way my one of my shoulders kind of bothers me. And he would make sure to modify that that exercise so I could keep going. And I soon enough found like I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing this. And here we are, like just almost exactly a year later. This was I want to say my first day at the gym was like August 15. Okay, very close to that. Like the day after I was installed, I think we went to the gym. And so it's been, of course, transformational. I've been to the gym three times a week, almost without fail, for an entire year. And and so what we learn about that, I think, or what I learned about it is, you know, we, we should take care of our bodies. And just last week, our sermon was about Jesus feeding the 4,000. And we are humans. We are body and soul. And we are, uh, and Jesus cared about both, or 
all of a human, not just one aspect. Right. So uh, it's been very good for me. And uh, just now I was moving some boxes out of the basement that were loaded with books and, and stuff that it, that I remember bringing down to the basement a year ago and had, it was pretty hard carrying them down those stairs and storing them in the basement till, till it was time to move them. And here it is going against gravity, carrying them up the stairs. And it's easier than it was a year ago. It's easier bringing them up than how hard it was taking them down a year ago. Very different. And uh, so a good. Can, can I mention what I talked about when we were going through valuations? Yeah. Yeah. It, that, uh, uh, for you, I thought it was important because I think something like this probably added five years to your your ability to, right. to be a pastor. Right. The, my effectiveness has been extended. Right. Absolutely true. And so you're right. welcome, uh, Concordia Plan Services. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do I get a refund or something? Mm-hmm. You got to get those points in. <laughs> That's right. I should I should get something for from the. That's true. I've done them a great service. <laughs> All right, By the way, I want to point out now, everything, we, we talked about the Clerk Lawyers podcast, right? So everything from, you know, including going to the gym on is better than the Clerk Lawyers podcast. Right, and right. Let, opinion. Yeah, this, that right. was even better, right? By the way, uh, Peter, do you notice he's, you can tell now he's kind of been through the training program because he's wearing a t-shirt too small? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's still black though, so. Okay. Well, there is that now. <laughs> It is a new moment for me. Look at that. Look at those guns. Look at that. There you go. I get to say cool things like, oh, I don't know if I could wear that shirt. It's tight on my arms. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been able to say that before. (laughs) Yeah. So see what's going to happen now. You're going to go, when you get back to the seminary, they're going to say, oh yeah, you were with Bullhagen, weren't you? They are going to say that. I think they will. And no, no, what what, what they're going to say is, you know, what they are going to say is, you're just too intimidating. We can't. We can't place you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll be scared of you. <laughs> Maybe the white hair will make it okay. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Mrs. Vicker says that we should make sure the vicarage program always sends people in need of a personal trainer. <laughs> that should be the basis on selecting Hampton. <laughs> That's where I'm, I uh, honed in my my uh, motivational skills. By the way. Okay. Yeah, like you said, one time you were you were uh, yeah. wondering if you should do more weight or not, and I said, "Well, you can you can not do more weight if you just want to be normal or average." Yeah, yeah. If I just want to stay regular or normal, whatever it was, it's like it's such the perfect thing to tell me because I couldn't stand it. I can't have a basic vicar. Come on, <laughs> I can't have a basic vicar. Right on. Number seven. I went over to the daycare. It's across the parking lot. Mm-hmm. from the church and went there the first time and I was completely intimidated at the idea that I had to somehow teach four-year-olds and eight-year-olds, you know, that age group. And we went in there and we sat down in front of them and we you started reciting scriptures with them. And that group recited a dozen memorized scriptures to me like on day one. It was quite the moment. And it was intimidating at first, but then... The more we went over there, the more I saw the importance of that work as as a mission field, and I saw the faith that the children have. You know, they believe what you teach them, and so it's this relieving thing. There's a group of people out there that just believe the Word of God when you teach it to them, and it's a sobering thing because you got to mm-hmm. get it right. So there's a level of it that's that's so incredibly important. And there came a moment where a new girl joined joined the daycare, a little girl, maybe six, something like that. And she hadn't been there yet. And by then I'd been there a couple of months and she was just awestruck that we were chanting or saying memory verses together. And, and she just stood next to me when it was her turn to come forward. She just stood next to me and she kept looking at me and she just kept saying, this is so cool. And she said it over and over. And, and it was a really moving moment because she felt it. She knew the importance of what was going on at this childlike level of faith. And uh, so that stuck with me. Mrs. Vicker told me I had to tell that story <laughs> as I came home and told her that day. And uh, so that that was it. She was right. This is so cool. Uh, and now, now uh, uh, we made sure we got through before you left uh, them reciting the Apostles' Creed. That's it. Yeah. I, we were all the way to the last phrase. And, and what, we, what you've, you've learned is you think, well, well, what are they understanding? Because we're just teaching them memory word verses. But you've noticed that as time goes on, when they have questions, when you can answer with the Bible verses, when you can answer right. with the Apostles' Creed, 
it just clicks in for them. Right. No, that's absolutely true. It was, uh, I think I'm going to be talking about this later, but I, in fact, it's the next one. Number six. Because we have a relationship with the daycare when it came time to do VBS, which was just a couple weeks back, uh, well, we had a high point of 34 children and about 32 of them came from the daycare. And so, and on that day, there was, I dressed up like Moses. <laughs> like, so I had a robe and I had a big staff and I taught the lesson of the crossing of the Red Sea, the way the Lord saves us through water. And we connected that to baptism. And so it became an, a simple lesson in a way because the children already knew, go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So when I showed them that we are saved through the waters of baptism, not from an army, not trapped between the ocean and the army, but from our sins that that are that trap us and ensnare us, they they could say that verse with me, and it became pretty. Uh, it became a lot easier to talk about baptism when they had those words. They knew the words they and they understood what baptism was. Because and they they, they understood the that those words came from Jesus. Yes, they did. Right. They knew that was. I didn't. I wasn't dressed as Moses when we taught that part. If that's what you mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and he did look a lot like Moses. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, the funny reaction... I, at least I'm not exactly sure. Berg, uh, what did Moses look like? <laughs> no idea. Right. You know, what the world thinks, well, Charlton Heston. What he really was, right. you know. Right. He was a... You right. know, Moses was a little stronger. He Way stronger. <laughs> but he he never actually talked. Aaron did all the talking. Yeah. Because yeah. he was a stutterer, you know. I'm, Right. So, I, so I, basically, I think, you know, a thinking, buff Charlton Heston, and combined with me when I'm tired. So, <laughs> there you go. Okay. Number five. The complete rewrite of my first sermon. Okay. <laughs> a key moment of being a vicar. Uh, I turned in the manuscript. I wrote that sermon in a way that probably would have gotten me an A in my homiletics one course, and you know, it was very thorough with the scripture of the day. And it was handed back to me for a complete rewrite, and none of the first draft survived into the second draft. Not, not, not a sentence. That's that, that always, always, that's that kind of thing that cracks me up because <laughs> I could tell when I, I get that sermon, like mm-hmm. with a smile, confidence. Yeah, yeah I've done it. <laughs> this is amazing. Just like I was taught. <laughs> and it didn't survive. And the, about half of the second draft made it to the final draft. So towards the end, I referred to it as version 2.5 that I actually gave the sermon out of. But uh, but it was a key moment to find out like that, that, that I had to address the congregation and the concerns that they have, the lives that they have. And I, I, it was not an, it was, could not be an academic exercise of, of pure exegeting the text. It had to be something that, that um, was for the people. And that's that's kind of the lesson over and over again of being a vicar, but it was right away. First, the first uh, sermon right out of the gate, that was the lesson. Yeah, Berg, can you, you can talk a little bit about, about this, Berg. How, when we, a lot of times when you're, you're going from learning theology to being a vicar and then a pastor, uh, there there is an idea that to learn theology is just kind of learning the essential truths. But but uh, that does no good if you cannot communicate it well to people and teach it well. I mean, the Bible talks about being apt to teach, and 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 there are two sides. There's a to to being a theologian. One is knowing it, and the other is being able to convey it in a way that leads to repentance. Yeah, wouldn't you agree, Berg? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's two reasons why seminarians are insufficient in this regard. One is that they haven't completely internalized these things yet. I think the second right. reason is is that they're scared because making practical applications to a congregation is freaking risky because you don't know who you're going to piss off. Right. And that's the thing is like, I mean, Paul does it all the time. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, it is, it's scary. Like when you actually start applying these things to your particular setting and to your particular time. And I think I do that. Um, we'll probably cover it next time uh, with the um, with the week and, you know, the Bud Light boycott and all that kind of stuff. I mean, because all of these things are still relevant. The All theology is practical. 
that means it can be applied to life, right? Um, mm-hmm. All of it. And it can be applied to every believer's life, for the most part, with very few exceptions. Like, for example, uh, you know, the stuff about rulers doesn't apply to subjects, and the stuff about pastors doesn't apply to lay people, right? Right. But, yeah. you know, I mean, otherwise, everything else applies. Everything else needs to apply. Everything else needs to be um, directed. And, you know, so... And seminarians are still trying to figure out how to do that. And, you know, the place for that isn't really the seminaries. I mean, kind of, but not really. And but and I don't know how you teach that. Yeah. I, well, I, I just, think, you know, I think homiletics classes are more for rhetoric. I think they're more for structure. I think they're more for clarity. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. to actually live the text, to work it out in fear and trembling in your own life and in the lives of your own parishioners, that just takes practice, you know? Right, and I I think uh, I like what you said there, is is that uh, one thing that I've I've conveyed with with the vicars and with you is the fact that that, uh, you wrestle with it too. You know, uh, you can always tell. I think a sermon where, where a, a pastor is preaching the law, for example, and you can tell it's not. It comes across as though he's actually not hasn't wrestled with what he's talking about. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know that's that's saying something I've done with Vickers in the past is is I'll have like this law section and like, do you really understand this? Like. Where you know we do this and we do that, and like you're just spouting off just general law. Is this something you've actually? Yeah, gen- right. It was tempting for you. Yeah, general platitudes get a general answer. Mm. Yeah, and I would ask them. When was the last time you actually wrestled with what you're saying? Well, yeah. well I just thought somebody else out there did. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's where I I think as pastors we need to be bold. Like mm. we just we have to be bold. We have to take risks. Because we live in a really, we, there's a lot in the world we cannot depend on that they that even at the beginning of your ministry, Bullhagen, you could have depended on. Yeah, hmm. and That's true. and so like our people are afraid of getting fired because they use the wrong pronoun. Yeah, you know, I mean, like these are the things that are going on right now, and to internalize that and speak to them these words of grace. I don't know. There's no greater privilege, but it is scary. And well, one thing, you know, you just have to step out. You have to do it. You have to take take the leap. You know. And a lot of that has to do with with the other things that you do as a as a pastor or as a vicar is is when you visit, you you find out what people's concerns are. You're not left to guess what they are. Right. Yeah. Which leads me to number four. There was a moment on a Sunday morning when I saw a couple whom I had just visited for three hours just two nights before. And it was interesting because I saw them as as if they were brand new, real people in my lives. They had they it transformed them by going and visiting them in their home and in the three hours just flew by. But it transformed them into real people that I knew instead of just semi-familiar faces that I had seen around church on Sundays, and that's it. And it was very different to see them the following Sunday morning a couple days later than from a from having visited with them in their home. And it really made me feel strongly about the importance of the visitations. Now, I could have said those words, oh, visitations are important, but then I then I existed in it or whatever. I saw it. I felt right. it. And Three hours is a long time, It was man. a long one, and it flew by for that particular visit. It was... Uh, it was no problem. I was stunned. I, I went to their house in the, you know, kind of later afternoon, and I brought my sunglasses. Oh, I, it's right. I remember now. I got a call from one of our members saying, yeah, Vicar was here for three hours. I couldn't get rid of him. He never took a hint. Uh, but I had to drive home with no prescription. He started screaming, I'm Moses, I'm Moses, and was wandering around the house. You know, it was longer, than a, right. it was longer than a Marvel movie. I mean. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, extended edition. <laughs> but, uh. But yeah, I had to I had to drive home in the dark, which I wasn't anticipating. I only had my prescription sunglasses with me because I had stayed far longer than I thought. <laughs> uh, anyway, but it was a great visit, and it, like I said, it changed from being people that like, oh, there's some 
people that I say good morning to on Sundays and I recognize their faces and it changed them into people that I knew uh, and and liked. And it, ch- it changed how you, you viewed the sermon writing process, yeah, too. Yeah, it does. Right. And that was early in the in the visitations, too, where we would hear from somebody. We would hear the concern of a person, like maybe someone going through some bad suffering and they're elderly, and they would ask you, why am I still here? And then it would be your turn, say, for the next Sunday sermon. And, and I would you would address that in the sermon. And that was very informative for me to see that, like, he, you know, pastor is listening to what the people are saying on these visitations and addressing it in the very next yeah, it's, sermon. Yeah, it's important, though, not to be too specific when well, you do no. that. All right, no, I get that. <laughs> the sermon is entitled, yeah. What Ned Did. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I was at McDonald's the other day, and this this gentleman named uh, Richard. <laughs> yeah. We won't name any names. Richard. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that happens a That I get... Uh, as a circuit visitor, that happens a lot. Or to to talk when when uh, or vicars where they want to be reactionary. That that instance was an instance of gospel. Now you mm-hmm. tuck things away and you preach on it. But if if someone comes to you with something like real confidence, then you just like the next Sunday hit him over the head with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Don't do that. That's that's okay. Albado. Don't do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's as Elbato as a derecho. Oh, well. Number three. That moment when I was in the pulpit and realized my sermon wasn't good enough. Now, it's funny one perhaps to put as a number three vicar moment, but it was an important moment. Uh, it wasn't good enough. That's just an objective fact. I can't escape that reality. And as I was there delivering that sermon and realized this wasn't finished, and it, and, and it affected the way I was delivering it, and and I got feedback afterwards, like, what happened there? Why why did you suddenly sound so uncertain? And I didn't realize I had done that, but I had st- it affected my delivery. And so I got very important feedback, very, very specific feedback and good feedback on how, you know, it basically boils down to, well, don't make it kind of double bad. It, it's If you find that the sermon's not good enough, don't also make the delivery bad. You know, like work on the delivery technique to deliver it as best as you can. And in this case, it was very specific. I need to not end each sentence, like in an upward inflection, like I was a Valley girl, you know, when they talk like this <laughs> right. um, and I needed to inflect right. downward. And so I, I worked on that, but it was, who pointed out, pointed that out. I don't know. Oh yeah. I don't know. So I just got this feedback from someone. Uh, but I remember you asked me what happened and I said, well, I was, it wasn't good enough. I realized it wasn't good enough. And, and I was probably a little distraught and you said, it's okay. We can work on that. I can tell you how to how to deal with that, and it was it just make, made things a lot better right. because, you know, what's the saying? Let's put some lipstick on this pig. Yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it but it was a good moment. Like even though it was a tough moment, it was a good one because it it I I learned a lot all of a sudden. Like, um, by by the way, I had looked at the sermon and I thought it was good enough. Okay, okay, but the thing is, is it's healthy to have. The opinion that it can always be better. Yeah. Well, this one struck me very much so. Like, this is disjointed. This isn't as good as it should have been. And and uh, and it was, to me, that was just an objectively true fact. I mean, I think, well, not just to me then. It was just objectively true. So uh, anyway, so it was an important moment, and it stuck with me. And it makes me want to write, make sure I write a good sermon, and it makes me want to deliver it very well, you know, it's at the time of delivery. Right. And that, that's why I ask. A uh, vicar, when we I ask to make changes, I make sure the vicar agrees that that'll make a, a good sermon because if they don't agree, it will show up in their preaching. Yeah. Right. Well, and I know just being by myself here in Lander, I actually write my sermons for the next Sunday on Monday. So that way mm, I okay. can review it through the rest of the week. And then if something does happen, I can always write a new sermon or whatever. But it okay. gives me more time to craft what I want to say, review it, be like, okay, this is, you know, this does justice to the text, this doesn't, you know, this is too wordy, this isn't, so. Because you never know what's going to happen during your week. That's the thing. And, and behind the, the caller moment is is that that happens with me too sometimes, where I, I know that... Uh, uh, I I maybe wasn't as happy, where maybe I was, I was kind of happy with what I had written, but I wasn't happy with how it preached, mm-hmm. okay. or something like that. Yeah. 
where or well, and you're way better, Bullhagen, about rolling with the punches than I am. So that's where, like, you just got to know your nature. You got to know right. your limitations and how much to prepare and how much to do. It's so that way, you know, it may not be a home run. It might be a line drive, but, you know, <laughs> that's okay. Right. Right. They were fed. Sometimes it's a right. happy meal. Yeah. <laughs> if nothing else, they heard the word of right. God because we, you know, we do the lectionary readings. <laughs> it, it may be that's not ex- it may be a paltry not- and imperfect good work that you do, but God mm. still, still accepts it because of Jesus. So, you know. Well, that's good. But that, that's you not know. an excuse for not a trial. Well, well, and if right. you don't try, I mean, then you're kind of a schmuck. This is the thing. <laughs> Pastors are schmucks when they don't. It's like plan a little bit. Plan a little bit. Make it textual. You know, it's not that hard. You know what's coming up. I don't know. That just grinds my gears a little bit, so. Right. But that's one thing I tell Vicar, is I tell him that uh, if he's discouraged about a sermon that he's working on, I, I remind him, this is still better than what you will hear in a lot of pulpits. <laughs> it's <laughs> that's, true. that's true, you know. And preaching is the highest thing we do. And, you know, God yeah. uses sermons as he will. We just have to do the best and, to make them clear, but above all, faithful. So, and I and I take the fact that a vicar is is frustrated with the sermon process as a that I've been doing my job right mm-hmm. because they're not they're they they come in thinking oh I'm a pretty good preacher right and they leave thinking well I'm a way better preacher than I was yeah. <laughs> but I've still still got work to do and yeah. I'm still going to keep honing and craft my craft and honing my craft. Yeah. I, I'm mindful of this in, in the fact that uh, 25 years out, okay, being mm-hmm. a pastor 25 years, and uh, I'm 50, and I preached my first sermon when I was in class when I was 21. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I am aware in my own preaching and someone who's has that kind of experience that the natural tendency is, well, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to rest on my laurels. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you see it in me that I'm always continuing to adapt to change, that I kind of go through cycles of preaching, or I might try a new thing or a different cadence, or I'll, I, I talk to you about sometimes if I hear something on a podcast or on a YouTube video where they may not have said anything amazing, but for some reason they, they said it in a way that made me stop and think about it. Right. Where I actually will study, well, what kind of cadence did they use? What? How did they say it? Yeah. How slow or how fast? Uh, That's why Peter those... fills, you know, speeds us up like 50%. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Don't give away my secrets. Don't give the... Well, they think we're really... F- Quick-witted. Well, this is the thing I, I found out with my soapbox shibboleths. I listened to myself uh, last night with one of my buzzwords, and it's like, got to be faster. Has to be faster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a little bit kind of off topic, and it could be its own thing, so I don't want to get too into it. But, Vicar, just off the top of the head, is there one sermon tip that you learned in the past year that you would pass on? Well, I'm kind of doing it right now because it is to insert pauses, uh, which is kind of funny. But the my natural inclination, well, anybody, I think it's almost anybody, but when I'm up in the pulpit and I finish a, a sentence, I think that a long time has elapsed and so I start the next one. And really, it's probably been half a second. When you're in the pulpit, like you're like in a weird time warp where the, the silence, if you're not used to it, feels really long. And so I literally had to write three two, one, <laughs> after some of my sentences where I wanted to absolutely make sure that I truly paused and let people consider what I had just said. Um, so that is that is good feedback. You might have to, if you're writing a sermon or delivering it, you might have to give yourself very specific notes about where to pause. And, Do you remember when I modeled that for you one time where I, I kind of <laughs> taught that to you and then I preached like the following after I talked to you about, you know, being yeah. intentional. If you give them something that you really wanted to think about, Give him yeah. a chance to think about it. And so I made some statement and I literally gave him like five seconds and I looked. Yeah. Yeah, you did. You did it. That's right. I was <laughs> watching you. And I wait. said, did that seem long? 
No, no, that it really wasn't was... really that long when it's not you standing in right. the pulpit. Right. It feels completely like it was just fine. But, you know, like I said, if you're standing there, it'll feel like, wow, I've, I can't pause like this. Right. It's time to keep talking. So, so for example, and I think another thing we talked about is it, it, sometimes rather than saying, giving just being quiet and letting them think about it, we want to fill it with some words to say, hey, you want to think about this. <laughs> right. No, that's exactly right. Like, let's talk about this. Or, I mean, you made me cut out a lot of those kind of weird connecting phrases that I was inclined to put into the sermon. So we don't have, I mean, actually, Peter pointed that out, I think, on one of the podcasts. Like, you don't, it's one of the things he hates is when the pastor says, well, let's talk about this. Let's think about this. Or, or just these weird rhetorical statements that aren't needed. You can just talk about it. You don't have to state that you're about to talk about it. Right. Well, I this is where I think, you know, a lot of people want to be led in a sermon. Mm. They want to know the map. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Right? And mm-hmm. that's where I think, like, ha- printing outlines in the sermon, you know, like, okay, we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about this. And then that way, if they if their minds run in some weird... Tristram, Tristram Shandy uh, syndrome sort of way, where they're like, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Can you what? can you go ahead and well, at least we have a title now? Okay. What, 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 a weird, yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know how to spell okay. that. That's not the title. So <laughs> <laughs> Tristram yeah. Shandy was a novel that was written in the 18th century, and basically it's a it's a parody or a caricature because this dude never tells his life story. He's always going off on tangents, and that's what hmm. our people do. Our people go off on tangents. So you say something in a sermon, and their mind will just run. And that's not a bad thing, because that means that their minds are internalizing the sermon, and that's beautiful. But you have to have a Mm -hmm. way for them to come back in. Right. And so, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, this is where I think sermon outlines are actually a good thing in the bulletin, because they're like, okay, we're going to talk about this thing, we're going to talk about this thing, we're going to talk about this thing. I can do one better, Bert. Please. You're going to love this, right? Yeah. Instead of putting it in the bulletin, because it's kind of also a spoiler, right? Like people are going to be, instead of listening, they're going to be like, oh, well, now when are we going to talk about this part? Yeah. Instead, you put it up on the screen, your PowerPoint oh, presentation. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> you see, in the old days, like people would just pick up on this, but I think we have to be, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting too soft in no. my old age, but uh, you know, I, 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 under- I, I do. Th- I, I, under- I do think there needs to be a roadmap. Like people want to know where they're going. You know, what are you going to talk about? You, you, do you know what's what's beautiful is uh, we we have someone in the congregation who who takes notes of the sermon mm-hmm. all the time, and they take notes in their Bible. Thanks be to God. And so that's awesome. And so in Bible study, I'll say something and. And this person will like chime in and say, "Well, someone once said of this text, da 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 da." I'm like, "Wow, that's a really good point, <laughs> right?" <laughs> By the way, can I tell you of one time where I I I probably explained this on the podcast? I had to have before a sermon I was listening to, uh, and uh, I think it was on vacation or something. And uh, he printed the outline, and uh, the sermon was on Philippians two, uh, how we need to empty ourselves. Oh, no. Right? Yeah, that doesn't make too much sense. (laughs) And so, you know, we need to empty ourselves of pride and empty ourselves of this and that. Well, he was using the outline, and he goes, he made this this bold statement, we also need to empty ourselves of number two. (laughs) Well, that is true, or you will get sick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Number two. (laughs) That's a good point. Number two. (laughs) That is where we're at. Okay. Number two. So it's a daycare story again. There is a little boy at the daycare that we go to twice a week. So I've been there like almost literally a hundred times. And every time he wants me to read a book, we oftentimes bring over a big picture book called The Prayer That Jesus Taught Us. And it is the Lord's Prayer with pictures. It's an enormous book, actually. It's probably 20 inches tall by you know, 30 inches wide when you open it. That's how we do it. I yeah. mean, it's pretty gangster. Yeah. No cap. <laughs> and he wants it every time. And he's over the, over the months, like he's gone from stomping his foot in anger that I didn't bring it 
to coming up and just mentioning to me if it wasn't if I didn't use the book that time that I, that I haven't brought it but that he really wants me to. And so I've taken to have just agreeing to bring it and there are moments where I have brought that book at his request. And you couldn't have written this for a sitcom and have it turn out any better. Like it's, it's I have to almost look around like am I being set up? I read the book and this little 4-year-old boy comes up with a big smile at the end and he gives me a hug and says, thank you for bringing the book. So he loves the word of God. There's a four-year-old that loves the word of mm-hmm. God and he loves the book. And he, and he told me today, because uh, we're recording on a Wednesday and then we go on Wednesdays. He told me today, please bring the other book. Cause the other one we bring is Psalm 23. So, um, and f- for a four-year-old to be that in love with the word of God is it's fantastic to see. And there's a similar one. I guess I'm going to cheat and combine two moments. Uh, we've been teaching, like we said, the apostles creed. And there's a a little four-year-old girl, if I had to guess her age, and Bullhagen likes to start the portion where we transition from saying our memory verses to moving on to the latest thing, which is the Apostles' Creed, by saying, what have we been working on lately? And some of them like, oh, Apostles' Creed. But meanwhile, this four-year-old sits up straight, her eyes go wide, and she gets a big smile, and she just starts saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. <laughs> and you can't stop her. It'd be the worst thing in the world to say, oh, oh, you're speaking out of turn. You, I mean, and so we don't. Oh, and it would be horrible. She is proud to uh, blast out that, that she's a believer. And so I get to see firsthand in these moments the, the faith of a child. That the and, and we about. talked about that's what's so beautiful about teaching these kids. Yeah. The creed is, is there's something to be said about when they are reciting it. And they have to say, "I, I believe, believe. I believe." They're informing themselves, and they're, in, they're that has a statement that that encourages them in the faith and teaches them what they believe and what is good to believe and who God is. Right. And number one. So to preface it a bit, um, there's a member of the church that had been absent for a long time, possibly decades, but he reached out to the church because he wanted pastoral care as he entered the last stages of his life. And so pastor visited. Actually, can I? Can I yeah, go ahead. I, I can say it's not that he reached out. It's It was um, uh, someone from the family said, yeah, he, he doesn't have much longer. We think he has a plot at the church. Oh, is that how it came That's actually how it happened. Okay. And so um, they said, okay, in my mind, mm-hmm. uh he hasn't been here in 30 years, so the natural tendency of a, a young pastor would be, oh, well, that can't be. You haven't been here in 30 years. Yeah, he's, he must not be a member. Right? <laughs> right. Right. But we use that opportunity to visit him probably, what, 10 to 15 times? Yeah. Before he, he died? Yep. And so, and so because, like, I have a good supervisor, he took me with me on these visits and this, you know, kind of sensitive thing, but I got to go on these visits. And I was there. When that man repented of his sins, received absolution in the Lord's Supper, and all of heaven rejoiced. And uh, Amen. that is by far the most important moment of being a vicar. And, and I could tell when, when we first talked about it, I mentioned this is someone who hasn't been in church Right. And you're like, oh no, what do we do? Yeah. No, I just, <laughs> oh goodness, what special thing, do you, magic words, you know, that you it, say. It, it means that, uh, oh, we got some work to do. <laughs> yeah. And you have their cat. <laughs> and I ended up with his cat, <laughs> which is a true statement. <laughs> uh, so this is one of those things where, you know, bad circumstances came up in this man's life and hard things. And then the Lord meant it for good. Because maybe if things were going swimmingly, you know, he he wouldn't have had that desire for pastoral care and repentance. But things were not going swimmingly, mm-hmm. but the Lord meant it for good. And it was good. It was the greatest good. Well, that's uh, we're, we're over time. Vicar, do you have any final words for the Clerical Errors podcast? At least uh, for now. Um, to Vicar number 20. Trust your supervisor. Uh, he's got your back, and he never left me hanging. Uh, all of my anxiety of being thrown into the deep end and, and not knowing what to do, that never happened. And so that's my final words for the next vicars, that he's in good hands. And and this supervisor, Pastor Bullhagen, knows how to teach all vicars uh, how to do things to the utmost. Well, thank you. Thank you. 
Well, uh, I would feel bad about slamming you to end the show. <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're, uh, Berg, wouldn't you say that top 12 was adequate? I think it was oh, adequate. Yeah. It was great. I love it. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't get too much of it edited out. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, we're 20 minutes over, so I got to make time up somehow. Uh. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. Berg. This is Vicar. May the Lord work for you the greatest good. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.